Greetings, fellow investigators, and welcome back to our video podcast, Into the Darkness, where my friends and I play the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. I'm your host, Tom Rayleigh. Our campaign is entitled Intersections. It's part of the World War Cthulhu Cold War series. Matthew Sanderson is our game master, and this is episode six. Our recap will be given by Thomas McKeon as his character, Agent Steve Combs. So without further delay, let's continue our journey into the darkness. Thomas? Thanks, Tom. While sitting alone in a bathroom stall located on the campus of the University of Istanbul, Steve Combs fiddles with his audio recorder, contemplating what to say. Then, with a clip, with a click, the tape begins to roll. I've begun to question whether or not your presence here in Istanbul is truly because of our mutual friend. The team I've, I've been assigned to has discovered some rather troubling information, information that you may already be privy to. My years in the CIA have made me suspicious by nature, and you don't shoot people in the head for a living expecting that every person you meet is your friend. Regardless of my guarded suspicions about you and why you may actually be here, your connection to our mutual friend tells me that we share the same values. It's because of these values and beliefs that I'm sharing with you what we've discovered. Last night, the being section 46 refers to as H brought us into some kind of dilapidated dreamscape. It was questionable of whether this was a dream or a different dimension, but one thing was certain. We were brought there for a reason. The Marine, O'Sullivan, said that H told him that we'd find our answers inside the tower. From where we were, the only tower we could spot was from a building that resembled some kind of keep or castle. Before making the trek there, we attempted to gather the party together. Everyone was accounted for, except for Postgate. When we approached his room, we could hear some kind of noise, chanting, but when we first opened the door, Postgate was gone. It was the general consensus that he'd woken up, but I think something more sinister happened. More of that CIA paranoia, I suppose. We then made the trek to the keep, where we found that it was in relatively nice shape in comparison with the landscape surrounding it. Bunks and cots were set up, crates of supplies lined the halls. It was a site I was all too familiar with after my time in Nigeria during the Civil War. It was the setup of a refugee camp. Upstairs, we found what appeared to be some kind of war room. Miriam Coach, sitting before a great shifting cube which bent, warped, shaped time and space. Frightened, she fled, but, before, but she left behind both the cube, the tesseract, and a globe, each with circles over major cities. It was what I feared from the start of all of this. It's my belief that Kazakov is defecting because of information pertaining to a nuclear plot, one which would trigger total nuclear annihilation for the entire planet. Miriam Coach and those associated with her, the disciples of the Tesseract, gained knowledge of this from the Tesseract itself, which is a fourth dimensional being, one that is, that's dimensions are length, width, height, and time. They were preparing for this devastation, retreating to that dream world. 
Once we awoke, we decided to split off. Postgate was gone, further adding to my suspicion, but we also needed to track down Miriam Coach. Lebeau, Somerton, and myself went to the University of Istanbul while the others remained at the apartments. There we found Miriam, who, terrified, told us that she anticipated that we were here to kill her. Apparently, not only did the Tesseract tell her of the end of the world, but that we were coming to assassinate her. Now, I've killed lots of people, diplomats, arm dealers, cult leaders, enemy agents, terrorists, even some of my own people, if necessary. It's my goddamn job. But it was never in our assignment to kill this woman. I excused myself just as Miriam told us that we should, we should meet her associates, the other members of the Disciples of the Tesseract. I'm about to rejoin my compatriots who are, no doubt, asking further questions inside. Let me finish with this. If you and I are to be partners, then I think it's mutually beneficial we act on that as soon as possible. Our mutual friend may be happy with what we together can find during the course of all this. However, my priorities, beside that of our friend, are in order, stop the nuclear war, find Kazakov, get the information from him, and then we'll see what happens then. Learn the identities of the cult who is clearly influencing the upcoming annihilation. Four, learn if my associates can be trusted or if they need to be eliminated. And finally, five, figure out whether or not you can be trusted. Only time will tell. Remember, you need to make contact next, uh, next to forward this partnership, but be discreet. The others can't know. And if they do discover the connection, well, hopefully they don't. And click with that, he puts the recorder in his pocket stands up, flushes the toilet, walks out, washes his hands. And he's going to uh, attempt to re, uh, rejoin LeBeau and Summerton in the office, which is where we left. Right, thank you very much then. Excellent, we have Steve, Summerton and LeBeau over at the University of Istanbul, uh, talking to Miriam. So we'll wrap up a little bit of that scene first, and then we'll cut to Eamon and Natalia, who I believe were going to, was it the American consulate you were going to? Oh, yeah, maybe it was. I think I was. That was discussed a little bit, but it was, I don't think it was decided on which consulate, um, which is why I left that out, because I don't know if it was decided on which one. Yeah, so it sounds like it'd be the British or the American one. It was, I was looking for the Adam guy. He was supposed to be part of the, was the American one, wasn't it? Adam is, Adam is from the American consulate. Yeah. Yes, that was my only thing. I'm not sure what Natalia wanted, but we were just like, yeah, let's go. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so Combs rejoins the other two in Miriam's office. Um, there's been not really that much to, um, talk happening between them. Miriam really wants to, uh, to go through this all with everyone there. So there's been a couple of shifting looks between you, and it's almost a. Um, Hey, do you come here often? Nice weather today. Mm. Very small talk between uh, between the rest of you. Of course, then Combs comes back in. Sorry about that. And I'm kind of, you know, wiping the water off of my hands. 
no, no problem, no problem. All, all still human. Um, Miriam kind of wraps her fingers on the on the desk. I said, I think the best thing we can do at this point is we need to have a word with um, with Igu to to see where she wants to take this. I I can't say too much until I know that it's safe to do so. Um, that's not of any bearing on yourself. It's that others may be watching or will watch or have watched. It's difficult to tell. So without you being cloaked, I have I have no way of knowing. I presume you're not. She looks between you. Um, let me ask this just right off the bat, Miriam. Uh, it's my belief that um, the person who killed your I kind of shrug your lover um, and the people that are influencing all of this um, they could be connected to either the Black Brotherhood or the Brotherhood of the Skin or maybe even um, those associated with uh, what was it uh, the, the Brotherhood of the Yellow Sign she she seems to recognize some of the some of the names there, or particularly one, she knows the Brotherhood of the Skin. Um, she definitely shrugs at the Brotherhood of the Yellow Sign. She has no idea who they are. And the Black Brotherhood, she has at least an inkling of knowledge of, but she, she leads off with, aren't they some kind of terrorist group? Um, from what we know, yes. And why I'm leaning more towards them is because they may have uh, political influence and connections more so than the Brotherhood of the Skin at this point, and maybe even the Brotherhood of the Yellow Sign. The Brotherhood of the Skin at this point is non-existent. She nods. Yeah, that's that's one of the reasons why I got us together is because the city was free. It was that there there was no one else here? It was they they had a stranglehold on the city for decades, years, more than that, potentially, from what she said. But that was they, they were gone, so she, she gathered us together so we could try and help save at least some part of humanity. So, wait a minute. So the people that came in and eliminated the Brotherhood of the Skin, they then just re retreated? They left? The city oh, was we, just... We don't know. Um, we, know we suspect that it was them who killed and she stumbles a little bit, that killed Yilmaz. Um, but we've... The only, the only way that anyone could have potentially seen where he was is to do something similar to what we do. That they knew exactly where and exactly when to strike. It's as if they asked the same kind of questions that we ask of the Tesseract. It's like, who is the person, show me the face of the person who is most likely to kill me. That's why I saw your faces. That they must have done a similar thing that you know maybe probability and chance and divining the future when is the most likely time to strike and get away with it and that's what we assume they did has the tesseract what was the, what was it that you called it the, the, uh, yeah, it has many names so the tesseract the render of the veils Daloth, the it's the same thing um has it ever been wrong because it's possible that, you know, probability, you know, it was just saying that the, the odds were up here for us killing you or something like that. Um, but those odds have shifted. Something's changed 
in the line of time. Um, yeah, time is fluid, so there is it is always probability. But but my question still remains: Has it ever been wrong in dealing with you? In my dealings, no. I've but then again, I've not asked questions that have a particularly high degree of probability. I've more used it to uh, to hide, which is to say why we need to get you guys hidden if we're going to actually explain any of this. I'm going to turn it over to my associates because you seem to know them you know, from the plane. So I'm going to take mm -hmm. a step aside for any questions they may have. Yeah. When you say hidden, you said, you said something a minute ago about a cloak. Are, are you yes. saying like an actual, some sort of invisibility or something? No, no, we're, we're not, we're not that crass. Um, think of time as a river that if you are in it, you're bobbing along on the surface, that you will, you'll always flow in one direction. That, that's a given. Okay. That any movement you make will cause ripples, and those ripples are detectable. They can be felt by anyone else that's in the river with, along with you. They can be seen from afar, either up the river or down the river. You can see the ripples moving in the, on the surface of the water. The only way that you don't make a ripple and that you don't get seen and don't be, um, be predicted or divined is to lift yourself outside of time. There is a way to be able to step out of that river, be able to walk along the banks, still heading in the same direction, flow, um, going in the same direction as the current, but not part of time. And that's what the cloak does. Is that where we were last night in the dreamland, sort of? No, the, the dreamlands is a, just another layer of the onion. It's another layer of reality. Um, it's eliminated a lower level rather than an upper level. Um, the upper levels are just too dangerous that no one would go there and survive. Hmm. Can you tell us more about Aigu and her I, I, place in this story? I can, but I'd prefer it if I was to tell you when you were cloaked, because at the minute, anyone that tries to focus a question on you can potentially, it's like, think of time again as like a videotape, that someone could just rewind and see to this moment and will hear everything that I tell you. I'm, if I start telling you too much about her, then that exposes our whole operation. You see, you see where I'm coming from? Absolutely. And how do we, how do you cloak us? By petitioning Dayaloth. And so once we are hidden or cloaked, mm -hmm. then it would be safe for whoever is hidden by Dalov to meet with Aigu and ask further questions. Exactly. I look at Robert, I look at Steve. Y'all got anything better to do today? No. Uh, <laughs> but before we go, uh, you know, on a trip outside of time and space. Um, H. The, the, does that, the woman in yellow, um, uh, do you know anything about her? She's the reason we were there within the dreamlands. Um, woman in yellow. Yes. Now, uh, in, in what I know, a person in yellow is not usually a woman, it's usually a man. 
but um, I'm wondering if H is an ally or if she is someone, a being that we would consider hostile. Some one of these beings that would come back and listen to this whole portion. She, you can see that she's evidently thinking about something. Um, I'm going to let you make the role for this. Um, see if she has actually heard. Uh, see if she has actually heard anything that could uh, give you a kernel of information. You roll me d100. Um, her dream law skill is 65%. If she gets equal or less than that, you're good. 23. She has heard something then. Okay. Um, there's. It's a rumor, admittedly. It's more more of a legend, if anything. Um, I don't think the gender of the being is described, but there is a place in the dreamlands to the far north, place place that very few people tend to want to go there, let alone do go there and come back, um, a place called Leng, that it's said at night there is a single beam of light that shoots up into the night sky that comes out of a pharos, where they say the last elder one sits talking to chaos to the beat of drums, and that this being wears a silken mask of yellow and presumably yellow robes of some kind, that the ancient ones are beings that have existed for aeons from millennia. I'm not particularly uh, curious enough to want to go there and find out um, what bits they've got underneath their robes, but that's the only thing that comes, comes to mind for myself. Well, then it's safe to assume, gentlemen, and Miriam, that H is not an associate. She is not an ally. So the reasoning behind her putting us in your little slice of the dreamlands um, is confusing to me. I I wouldn't presume or dare to question the reasoning or motivation of such a being. That's all my questions. No. Just take a step aside. <laughs> um, Miriam, uh, at that point, starts getting up out of her chair. Um, I think it might be best if we go back to our own people at this point. Um, I'll have a word with Igu. Um, see if she wants to meet, if she's happy to meet with the rest of you. And I think you guys maybe will want to have a word with the rest of your party, because this is either going to go one of two ways, either all of you or none of you get cloaked. Because if one of you isn't cloaked, then it's, it's like a, a break in a phalanx. It's going to bring the whole thing down. You can meet me back here. Uh, leave a message either at the front desk or um, call through to my office. If I'm not here, then leave. Then feel free to leave a message. Um, or I can probably try and divine where you are. It's uh, not exactly a um, effortless process. It does take a bit out of me, so I don't do it all the time. Does that seem like a reasonable course of action to you? Yes. 
Okay, she nods, then in which case um, I will bid you good morning and hopefully see you soon. Thanks for taking the time. We appreciate it. I'm sorry we put a scare into you. It's a, um, it's a scary business trying to, uh, trying to save humanity. And with that, she gets up and heads out. And we'll follow her and out into the hallway. That was uh, a lot of information. Are we um, separate? Are we alone? Yeah, uh, she's now headed off, so that you are you are alone in the corridor. Okay, uh, Steve, I wasn't so sure. Is that something you want to be sharing about each? They're clearly the disciples of the test director. Clearly, um, I wouldn't say benevolent in my head. They're clearly not benevolent, but they're also not malicious. I think they're just trying to protect their own. Um, but I'm just trying to divine why each in the first place is doing these things. And, uh, I don't think we have any solid leads. So maybe someone who has access to all of time and space could, uh, could uh, inform us a little bit. But clearly not too much. They clearly don't know as much as I thought they would. Which is why I, I, I did it thinking that they would know quite a bit, but clearly they don't. So, um, what do you guys think about this whole situation? I'm sort of, well, first of all, I'm nervous about H in the, in the sense that N, N has warned us against her. Um, I don't think, I don't think he's come out and said like, stay away from her. She's evil. She's bad. Whatever. But like a high sense of caution, I think might be. Um, but but something else has been going through my mind in that I'm wondering, what? I mean, she she was under the impression that we were gonna we were there to kill her. What what? Why is she so connected that we would be wanting to kill her? That's what I'm. Is she that important of a player in this mess? Maybe we haven't found that out yet. Right now, our relationship is friendly. Yeah. But as you and I both know, and Steve knows, any information that we may get in the future could change that relationship on a dime. And then we may need to kill her. She may see even further than we can, correct? Yeah. I'm not that ruling is, it out. Let's put it that way. It's still on the table. She could be a she could be telling the dang truth, because I wouldn't yeah. hesitate. Oh yeah, I mean, the minute it becomes it, it comes into our interest that they are eliminated, you know, to, the, the gun in my in, in my uh, on my chest and the gun in my ankle are coming out. Um, right now, they're our allies. They're they're a source of information, but. Um, and I look around and I say, um, you both were on the plane with Jacoby, correct? Yes. I don't necessarily trust any of you right now. I'll be, I'll be upfront with that. Um, I, I know what I'm thinking and what I would do. I don't know what you guys are thinking. I don't know what you would do. I don't know what Jacoby is thinking. I don't know what he would do. 
it is my it is um a nagging itch in the back of my head because she is keeps referencing Jacoby. Jacoby's the one that she's focused on. Um Maybe there is there is suspicion. As, there should always be suspicion. Well, yeah. Why bring a? Why bring a? I get bringing a physicist, Natalia. Mm-hmm. Sure. Why bring a biologist? I I I don't. The, 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 I just I don't know. She's focusing on 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 him. I, she says that oh, Jacoby, you guys were going to kill me. The probability for Jacoby killing her was way up here. So, I think that Jacoby may not be telling us everything. That he may have his own agenda. Let's all look at his face closely and see if we can determine his poker face. Oh, I think we, I think we have several. <laughs> and by the way, Tom, you are muted, so if you are trying to communicate, I'm not there. So okay, Just want to make sure. so shush. <laughs> On that note, though, if this was a film, this would be a great time to switch back to the apartment. And yes. Considering this would happen chronologically before Natalia and Eamon get to the consulate, because it is quite a drive. Ah, there you go. Um. I think that's about a good um, good time for Postgate to return to the apartment, and I think Jacoby's the only one that's left there at the minute. Oh, that's um, right. He was going to wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm drawing what I can remember of the Tesseract for my notes. Mm-hmm. Right, and in which case, then, as as you are um, drawing up your notes, and the rest of the apartment is nice and quiet, um, you hear the front door open and close. Henry? Honey, I'm home. Henry. Hello. What happened? Um, I stepped out for coffee. Well, good. We were all actually concerned that it was something far more sinister. No, um... No, I found a nice little place that does uh, an early morning espresso. I see. Hmm. Ugh. I could use some coffee right now. That's Good idea. So Probably I up on the roof from what that gesture was intended. Yeah, we head up to the roof. Yeah, I could do with a smoke. Can't stand smoking indoors. It's going to kill you someday. Yeah. It's going to give okay. you cancer. So once we're on the roof, we were quite concerned. You disappeared from the dreamlands. Um. Well, I was trying something out. I wanted to see if. Uh, Simply uh, refusing to participate would uh, would get me booted out, and it did. Well, I went back to bed. I woke up here, and uh, I checked to see where everyone was. You were all asleep, which I expected, to be honest. And um, then uh, there was a knock at the door. A knock at the door. Yes. Um, was that us? Because we heard a sound inside your room in the dreamlands. It sounded like drumming. 
Oh, that was probably, yeah, I remember there was a drumming sound as I, as I woke up. And I remember that vaguely. Obviously, there's some crossover between the two realms, the dream world and the real world. We're calling it the dream world now. Almost sounds ridiculous when I say it, but. Well, anyway, I was uh, this this the man and a woman uh, arrived at the door. The man I discovered was uh, one of our Turkish counterparts, and he seemed rather concerned about the direction our inquiries might be taking. Oh, which which one was it? Um, a man by the name of... I didn't ask how his name was pronounced, did I? Uh, no, but you would have heard it, obviously, when the... Because um, he would have said it rather than writing it uh, writing it down. It's pronounced Suleiman Ekmeche. Ekmeche. Yes, this Mr. Ekmeche. Um, a perfectly amiable chap, you know. Played it out. Chap, I don't think American, I think something CIA agent say chap. Um, dude. You've um, been boarding with those Bretons a little bit too much. I have, I have. I feel like, you know, I, I, like, I like to watch Masterpiece Theatre. And I perhaps watch a little too much of it. That combine that with the coffee, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible mixture. Um, but uh, yes, this, uh, this fellow... Uh, well, I don't know. I'm not sure what to make of him. He's playing his cards pretty close to his chest. Which, uh, half of the course in this game, I suppose. But, um, it seems he's tasked with investigating, um, student activism. The MIT, uh, they're, they're very interested in student activism. They've, they've got a bit of a bee in their bonnet about it. And, um, I quizzed him about a few things, but he wasn't very forthcoming. The only thing I did get out of him was the name of a a person he said uh, might know about fringe political movements, which which made me wonder if any of those fringe political movements might be connected with any of the uh, other organizations that we've been looking into. Do you think that it's more likely that this is all just completely unrelated to anything that we're working on? Just somebody curious or? He seemed to think that he was going to crop up as a person of interest in our investigation. Oh. He seemed to think that he knew something about our investigation. Now, whether that's... And and he identified himself as Milish Debarat Teshkilat? Yes. yes. Hmm. Well, as good as. Do I recognize the name at all? No, it's not something that's come up. Um, as far as you're aware of MIT, um, there's very few local pl- players in the local area, and that no, that name hasn't come up yet. Okay. I got fifteen percent in. But well, he did mention this, this person called is it is it Barish? Is that how it's pronounced? 
uh, it's pronounced uh, barish. Bar it's an emphasis on the S at the end. Barish. Barish. Or barish. Mm. Um, student activist, I believe. Um, apparently, uh, he's spends a lot of time around the consulates. Um, here, look, I, I was given a card for this uh, Ekmechi. He's apparently a professor of philosophy at the university. Oh. Yeah, the business card is from the Bosphorus University, which is very relatively close to the American consulate. It's rather, this is definitely an institution you'd be familiar with, Jacoby. Um, it's rather unusual that it's actually an American-funded institution that they primarily taught, um, primarily teach in English. So they oh. don't speak, they don't speak their native language on site. Didn't it used to be some sort of colonial private school, the, the building that it's in? I think it's the same, but it used to be a college. It had an American name, uh, an Ameri the surname with the American who set it up beforehand. That's, but that's by, this, yeah, by this point, it had renamed to the Bosphorus University. It's, um, it's actually quite close to the, the area in which we've been invited to go to a party. Hmm. Yeah, not a million miles away from it. Hmm. Who knows who will bump into at that particular party? Um, maybe. Do you have a last name? Barish is the last name or the first name? I'm assuming it's his, uh, his family name. Yeah, it's his last name. Okay. Well, we had an interesting time after you didn't come with us. Um, and I basically tell you everything that happened. I think you might have missed some of the end, didn't you? Um, One thing to clarify then, uh, do you mention about the incident after you woke up and looked over the roof down at the street? If you remember what that was. I don't. There was a lady on the far side of the street who reached into her pocket and then disappeared. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. If you yeah. describe her, Postgate's going to know that description because you had coffee with her. Ah. Oh. And the timing equates to when she got up and left. And then a few minutes after, she got up and left. Aha. Uh -huh. So you've seen this woman. You've had coffee with her? I've, I've met her. She was uh, rather charming. Did she say what her name was? Um, yes, her name was, um, now let me think. Um, <laughs> and in unison, we probably say. Uh, was, um, you probably might want to help with the pronunciation on the surname because it doesn't uh, read in English like it actually sounds. We can fill in the drive. Yeah, it's um, Vahidi. Is her first name, and then Dimirje is how you pronounce her surname. I'm not going to write that in there. I have no idea. Fahidi Dimirje. <laughs> that was not going to be my guess. <laughs> yeah, she seemed. Um, I took her at first for. Uh, I've just found the, the bit that had that name on it. Um, I took her at first for, uh, well, I mean, she introduced herself as a colleague of, of Echmechi's. 
and I thought she was his companion. But um, she didn't stay long. A colleague of uh, Suleiman Egmechi, who came. Mm. Mm. You know, I'd quite forgotten. How I could have forgotten, I, I, I have no idea, but I'm going to reach into my jacket pocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you definitely feel what she put there is still there. I'm, I'm going to take it out. Okay. It's a small pouch that uh, he emerged, uh, that he pulls out of his pocket, uh, a velvet pouch with a small um, satin silk drawstring, um, purple. It looks like there's something maybe an inch, an inch and a half wide inside. Uh, Postgate will have definitely got the, the shape of it when he pulled it out. It's spherical. I'm going to um, hold the pouch on my hand and just without touching the thing inside, just retract the bag over my hand like, like you would with a dog poo bag. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> and and look at it. Okay. Well, thankfully, it's not it's not excrement from a dog or otherwise. Um, it's actually quite nice. It's a dog small it's a small quartz orb without any flaws running through it. It seems to be just a perfect crystal ball. Hmm. What 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 in the world? Uh, just a, and it, you said oh, about like this big. Yeah, about that big. Um. Well, now my my inclination is to just reach out and take it. Um. Just because he's he's done this, you know. And. Uh, you can, well, I'm presuming. I start, you can do it. Let's say I just I start to reach for it. I'm I'm gonna slap his hand away. Oh, sorry. We don't know. We don't know what this is. I wouldn't go around touching it with bare hands. And she I mean, gave in, in this in this line of work. You could it could be something you touch some touch, touch something without knowing what it is, and you you could spend the rest of your life in a padded cell eating your own shit. Which we'd hold in a bag with very carefully something. Yeah. Oh, this is a strange, strange case. We saw an object last night in the dream. You didn't get to see it. You weren't there. But it was almost unexplainable to look at. It was a, it was a sculpture, but with every movement, the angle shifted. Uh, she called it a tesseract, which I believe is a mathematical fourth-dimensional figure. Oh, a hypercube, yes. A hypercube, yes, exactly. And, but this was the real thing. Apparently, they can look into it and see, see things, or at least predict the probabilities of things. Well, and, I'm, I'm, I'm no expert on the 
on the practice of, of, of dreaming or whatever they call it but um that kind of makes a, a strange sort of sense doesn't it really when you say oh, i'll just i'm going to wrap the, the thing back up in the in the pouch it does make a strange form of sense when you think about it that if a tesseract is a, a trans-dimensional object then you would imagine that it couldn't really exist in physical three-dimensional space. Right. So it could only exist somewhere like the dreamland. Well, I'm not so sure that it couldn't exist in the three-dimensional world. It simply couldn't be perceived in a, in a, it would not appear, it, we wouldn't be able to explain it by looking at it. And in the dream world, we really couldn't explain it by looking at it either. I kind of tried to draw a little picture of it here. But uh, it raises an interesting point. I mean, would a would a yes, you you would only see the points where if it was a four dimensional object, you'd only see the points where it entered three dimensional space. It was a shadow of that fourth dimensional object, you could say. Yeah, In any case, sense. she called it a number of different things, including a name that sounds like something that could be researched, Daoleth. Sounds like a, a some sort of ancient pagan god of some sort. Um, the other thing she called it, uh, I can't remember, something of the veil. Yeah, yeah. Daoleth. Or the, or the veil is... A, do you know that, what that reminds me of? What's that? I'm just going to check that my character has a high enough occult to talk about this, otherwise it would be out of character. 35, yeah, that's quite, ba it's quite basic. Do you know the, the Kabbalah? That's the, the Jewish mystic book? Yeah, yeah. I, I picked up something once when I was on a flight. Um, and I'm sure there's, there's one of the things on, on, in the Kabbalah that's known as it's, it's a, the sort of unofficial Sephiroth. The hidden one. The hidden one. Which is called, um, I think it's called Daith or something like that. I mean, it's not exactly what you're talking about. It just reminded me of that. It's probably unconnected, but um, it's sometimes called the veil. Hmm. Well, physics was never my strong point. I stick to biology. Uh, but, you know, I got the, the basic education. Um, uh, the others have gone to oh 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 we saw a woman inside the dreamlands in the in the castle the the the, the keep that I I told you about uh, Miriam Coach the same woman that was on the airplane with us and uh, she had oh oh I, I was was I there I didn't go in there did I. Yeah, you were there. Oh, that's right. Oh, yes. Okay. We saw her and she immediately vanished. So I believe she woke up. But we know where she is in the real world. And uh, the others have gone there to talk to her. Um, so we'll see how that goes when they get back. So you've encountered someone else. And... And she was this, and she was the she was the woman you spoke about before. who was on the plane, on the airplane. Yeah, the, the um, 
She was, was afraid she of us. I still don't know why she was afraid of us. An architect, that's correct, from the university. We also saw H. She was there too, but that was more or less the end of the dream. I, it, it so was, we're sure that that is H. It was, it was hard to understand what we were seeing, but I'm pretty sure I saw at least the shape in the form of H, the yellow. I, I remember the yellow. What she was doing there, why she was there. Miriam Coach seemed to think that we shouldn't have been there. She didn't know. Look, after, after that business before, with the artifact that you got from the man on the, the plane, hmm? whatever this object is in this pouch, you shouldn't mention that or reference it when we're uh, in a dream. The, um, the thing. Yes. In fact, I will make sure that I don't have it on my person when I'm sleeping. Somewhere safe. Um, it's also interesting that these, the this this, this daleth this hypercube, as you called it, lets them see things. And what you just showed me, for all intents and purposes, like a crystal ball, which is also supposed to let you see things. Hmm. A palantir. Like from that Tolkien book. I don't know if you ever read, read the Lord of the Rings. Oh, in, in, in passing. Long. Well, every 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 uh, uh, gypsy fortune teller has one. So, hmm. well, maybe I should go to my room and give that a try. See if I can uh, scry something. <laughs> I'll look into it too long. Dark Lord will look back at you. <laughs> out, out of interest, are you going to go and try that? Um, I think I will, actually, yeah. I'm glad you're back. And I uh, stand up and <laughs> throw out the rest of my cold, uh, the mud. Uh, look, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and um, examine this thing in my room. All right. <laughs> Um, if you hear me scream, screaming, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you hear me scream, just um, come in and throw a, um, a pillowcase over it first of all, okay. <laughs> just in case. All um, right, I'll give you an int roll first of all, and then I'm going to ask for a pal roll. So I've gone back to my room. Oh, well, my yeah. intelligence roll was uh, 29 out of 80. Okay, so you're under well under half there. Okay, there are two phrases that were said, one by um, Ekmachi and the other one by, um, by Demerje. Demerje said, keep this on you, don't activate it. Ah, yes. So that's, that's one, one thing just to bring to your fore, uh, the, come to the forefront. The other one that Suleiman said was, we have all the time in the world. He made that quite a point. Um, <laughs> You can give me a pal roll now as you're um, as you're looking over this thing. Five. 
out of 70. Wow. Okay. Yeah, you, you definitely you definitely know how to work this. Um, you turn this thing over in your hand. Um, there's a certain point when you rotate it that the interior starts to light up like a light bulb. Um, you can feel all of a sudden around you weightlessness, almost as if you're in, um, in zero gravity. And in fact, you find yourself almost lifting off the ground. Uh, very, the very moment that I feel any effect from it at all, I put it back in the, in the pouch. Yeah, no problem. So you, you elect to not activate it, but you, know, you at least know how to now if you wish. Yeah. Um, if you were to go ahead with it, you would need to spend um, a varying number of magic points. You don't know necessarily how much when, uh, when you activate it. But with... Well, I don't, I don't know what it, what it, what it is or uh, what it's for, but um, I'm pretty sure that it's not for entertaining me on my own in my hotel room. No, um, I'd actually say with a, with a heart or with an extreme power rather than that, you actually probably do know what this thing is. Oh, right, okay. It bridges space between two points. It folds space. Um, mechanically, this would be very similar to um, the spell you would know as a gate box. Ah, I see. This, uh, this is a method of instantaneously traveling to another point in space. Not time, space. But obviously you don't know where that other point is, hence why it's a varying number of magic points. Because that relates to distance. Keeps this on you. Well, I'll do just that. I'll um, do up the pouch and tuck it back in my pocket. Mm -hmm. Okay. At which point you then float back down onto the bed. We'll cut to the American consulate now. So, Eamon and Natalia, um, you pull up in your car. Um, or taxi, or however means uh, method you want to have, uh, you want to have got there. Um, the place is pretty much at this point opening up. I mean, there are always people here anyway. There's always security on um, on the place twenty four seven, but the normal day to day activity is starting at this point. So, you, how do you want to proceed from here? I put on sunglasses first. Um, I'm following your lead. From from the last time I was here, first time investigating Adam, did they pat you down? Yeah, you go through you go through security anyway. You'll go through a metal detector and and so forth. I guess I don't know. Is it would I be approved to carry conceal? Yeah, being a part of this place, right? This is our. Yeah, you, you'd basically show over your pass, and then the security would go fine. You're allowed to go through, and they'd give you the uh, basically the the all clear. Okay, and um, Natalia, I don't remember. Did you have a reason, or are you just wanting to go? Well, yeah, I was just backing you up here. I'm trying to remember exactly. I think I was doing a little more investigation on the Adam thing, but I know last time it wasn't very successful. So, but I guess I would try to, I'm, a, I'm there to try to dig a little deeper. Had the day off. He wants a little taste of normality, a little taste <laughs> of some, I don't want to say normal detective work because he's not a detective, but he wants something to do. So he goes and he begins, and I remembered the name. I just made a note to myself where to go. Mr. Alcott. Oh, yes. <laughs> Pamela's boss. Of course, I don't want to embarrass her, but I'm thinking of trying to maybe locate him. And I know I'm in my own place. I'm not sure how weird it is to go questioning my own people. I guess it. Well, they're, they're the ones on the ground. They're the ones with the info. So if you need anything from them, it makes sense to go and ask a few questions. Okay. I guess I'm going on the guise of there is a person of interest that is not reported himself in for a while and I'm looking for him. So any leads would be helpful. 
and I'm not sure exactly who I would go to, but I guess Mr. Alcott is the name that's in my head if no one else turns up. Fair enough. Well, um, Bennett is the closest person on site for you to go, um, go and have a word with. It seems like Leighton hasn't, um, hasn't arrived as yet. Okay. Although given, given his scruffy appearance, it's uh, probably assumed that he's not the best of timekeeping. Leighton's, he's, he, okay, he's the station chief. That's it. And Baton, or Bennett is, I'll say, second in command of him, or just one of his... Well, the, the only, yeah, the only other CIA agent based in the city. Uh, based in the city. Okay. Yeah, she's uh, pretty much a, not an odd job girl as such, but uh, works very closely with, um, with Leighton on, uh, okay, as you've been put it, uh, consular activities. All right, and that's right. I, I don't think I, my character met her, but I remember from before the description, was very, she was very stoic, very serious. Yeah. Okay. Once I got a club over here. All right. I guess I see my way to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no she's, she's already at a desk when you get, um, when you get there. Um, she's typing away on a, um, on a typewriter, on a keyboard rather. Um, looks up at you and uh, Natalia. Oh, hello again. Um, you're here rather early. Boy, just needed a little break from the day today. Was uh, looking at a person for a person of interest. Was wondering if you could help me out. If I can. He like, straightens his tie and he sits down. I'm assuming there's a seat opposite of her desk. Yeah, there's, there's a row of four. He kind of like eyes, like eyeballs the seat as for permission to sit down. Yeah, and she I, nods. And I sit. I'm like. Not even sure how I want to begin this. Oh, as you're looking, as you're looking around, trying to, as you say, think of how to start. You can give, um, you can both give me spot hidden rolls. I can't. I can't. All right. God damn it! Uh, I just missed it by six. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a seventy-five. That is a no. Okay. I go blind again. Uh, I suppose Natalia probably has the more uh, easier option here. You do have the option of spending luck if you wanted. Yeah, I'll do that. Okay. In which case, you're you're looking around, just taking in the sights of the office. There's it's very nice, clean, and sterile here. There's um, little by way of uh, personalization. It's what what we would term like an open um, an open desk policy now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she has got a large um, shoulder bag which she's put down at one side um, beside the desk. And you notice um, that sticking out of it quite uh, quite prominently, but just tucked away behind the desk, um, she has a bunch, uh, a large uh, bunch, like a bouquet of flowers. Okay. Is there like um, maybe a little card or something like that that uh, that might be sticking out of it or something like that? Yep. Um, stuck out on a little stalk with a little clip. Um, you can catch, as it's obviously na- native English, you can say um, in a very nice uh, scrolled handwriting, uh, very cursive, uh, it just says, as always, I'm sorry. All right. So while he's, uh, so I'll, I'll actually uh, make it a note um, to be looking at the flowers and um, like if her eyes happen to wander on me, I'll look down at the flowers and I'll say, oh, nice, nice bouquet. 
And then um, I'll, I'll wait for her to comment on that. Okay. Yeah, she, uh, I was going to say, it's, you weren't in the car from the airport with her, so you won't have seen her make this kind of uh, face again. But she she doesn't quite go white, but she definitely goes a bit pale and her eyes open um, open wide a little bit as if, using the, um, kind of the stereotype, as if she's seen a ghost. But she just stops and just nods very slightly. Uh, yes, yes, um, I've got to uh, leave those at a, uh, at a grave at lunchtime. So I, I don't, I, I want to uh, obviously have them look nice if they're going to be out, in, out on display. Great. Uh, who, who passed? Uh, she just shakes her head. Um, it's um, oh. it's a bit it's a bit personal. Oh, I'm am sorry. I'm sorry. I I just thought it might have been uh, on a, an admirer of yours. Maybe he messed up last night. You know, when you went out to dinner or something like that. I mean, the note no, if, would say, if, uh, "I'm so, I'm sorry," but. I, I figured that. If, if, I'm sorry. No, if if the only one who's sorry around here is me. All right. Uh, Sometimes this job is just really fucking shit. Can I uh, do a psychology role on it? You certainly can. Yeah. Ooh. Is that? Can I do the same? Yeah. Sure. I mean, it was about to speak, and then all this started happening. He's like, "All right." I got a. <laughs> 50 out of 65. Mm -hmm. Nope. Okay. Yeah, um, Eamon, you're reading her a bit. That she, She's got a good poker face. So you're, you're just seeing this kind of shocked stonewall impression. Mm -hmm. um, um, Natalia, you can read that she's barely holding back crying. Um, she is full of guilt. Mm. Uh, you're pretty certain she got whoever, this per whoever the person is that she's going to go to put the flowers on the grave, that she got them killed. If she didn't pull the trigger herself. Oh. Okay. I'll, I'll keep that to myself for now. Mm -hmm. okay. Oh, and, and I'll look over to, to you and I'll let you continue. <laughs> so, so Eamon doesn't notice any of, that at all, any of that at all, right? So he just like blows right past. He's like, I've got a lot of less personal things we can just talk about here. I'm looking for a man. I don't have a last name. I have a description. His name, well, he goes by Adam. And, and he starts to describe him. I don't remember what the description is supposed to be. But he's like, okay, well, yeah, um, this color hair, that, that cut, these eyes. Mm -hmm. Supposedly yeah, she, works here. She nods. Uh, she, at the minute, she kind of, you can see cogs going around thinking, yeah, there's, there's a couple of Adams here, but no one that really works in any similar circles that I, uh, I move in. Uh, when you start giving the description, she just slowly starts leaning a little bit towards the desk. And then... Like forward towards me? Yeah. Okay. okay. You're sure of that, yes? Yeah. Oh, it's the description I have. Yep. Um, she goes in, um, she pulls a key out of um, off a keychain and then opens up one of the drawers on the bottom of the on the office desk and pulls it open. Uh, pulls out a manila folder and starts flicking through some papers and then lays out a photo of a man which you think pretty much matches the description that you've been given of Adam. 
Um, yeah, big big guy dressed in uh, dressed in a business suit, white shirt, black tie, hair combed back. It's it's when you strip aside some of the glorified details that she's given you, because obviously she's seeing it through a, partic um, a particular yeah. lens. But the camera, at least the the photograph you've got, seems to have given the more obviously the realistic version. And Bennett just points to him and says, "This is the guy you're describing." Yes. Like my finger comes down on the desk, like straight down and taps. I'm like, yep. Oh, yeah. Because that's Vadim Kazakov. So who gave you the description? I just look at her. I'm like, can't show my whole hand now, can I? Just raises an eyebrow. <laughs> <laughs> at this point, I'm not sure like how much I'm supposed to be. T like she's one of our handlers though, right? Yeah. She's okay. one of the, res she's one of the agents posted in, in Istanbul. Okay. What was the name again? I'm sorry. Vadim Kasakov, the Soviet you've come here to arrange the defection for. Ah. Okay. There he goes. Oh, my, I've been speaking to uh, a lovely young girl from the British consulate who was possibly stood up. Oh, I had a few drinks. You know, I was just doing, I was just doing a favor. Got a little curious myself and she said he'd been missing. Hmm. So now I've started looking. Well, it's, yeah, because he doesn't come, he's not in town all the time. He only comes on, come, he does the rotation around the Black Sea. He's in town for a few days, disappears, comes back again every so often. So it's probably that he's not here at the moment. Okay. I don't know if I have any other questions. Do you, oh, wait, do you know his schedule when he'll be back? Well, we're thinking in a couple of days, maybe tomorrow. Okay, I'll check in mm -hmm. for the Sorry to uh, bother you. No, no problem. This is um, somewhat interesting. We didn't realize he had a connection with the British consulate. And I'm not sure what the connection is. If it was business, pleasure, a mix. Hmm. But seemed to be pretending that he was one of us. He gave his first name, but never his last name. Mm-hmm. And she uh, suspected that he might be CIA, but could not confirm it, so. She got the wrong side of the Iron Curtain. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Just having some fun during the day? Mm-hmm. That's about all I got now. I look over in Italian, like, well, actually, I picture it on this side of me, like, anything for you? No. And I, as Lucas, cannot think of anything else. So Eamon is going to be like, good day. She nods. Good day. Have a lovely, because his charm is like way downhill, right? He's like, he stands up, he, he starts standing up, he awkwardly is like, he's taking out his sunglass and he's like, I hope you have a lovely um, graveyard uh, oh, cemetery. Well, while, while he's stumbling over his words, <laughs> I want to take the moment, since we're about to get up, just to maybe do a quick spot hidden to see if um, there's something maybe on her desk or around her desk that might explain her demeanor right now. Like besides okay. the flowers, but like maybe a mood or something like that, that I might catch. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it requires much of a spot, uh, much of a spot hidden role because it's, uh, as I said, described what she pulled out. Um, she pulled out the manila folder that had various photos and documents, which presumably relate to Kazakov. And this is this is something that you'd be aware of, at least for having moved into moving in such circles. 
that a team has been brought outside of Istanbul from the top in the CIA to swoop in and organize a defection of a what I think is probably a prominent Soviet agent. Um, they're probably a little pissed off that they're not getting that glory themselves as the local agents. <laughs> so it's when, once Eamon's kind of walked in and just given the description of their, well, their prized uh, goose that would have laid the golden egg, that she's a little bit, well, again, it's kind of adding insult to injury, really. Yeah, I mean, now, um, I mean, I get that. I was, I was actually referring to the person that might have, uh, she might have gotten killed. Ah, okay. Um, um, yeah, like if she's, you know, maybe there's a photo of that individual or maybe she had a file or like before we came up, she might have been reading something or writing something. But I think it's, it's a distinct absence of that. As I mentioned, it's a fairly okay. sterile office. There's no pictures on the desk. Um, it just reinforces that when you have a look around, that there's no inclination of a, um, of a loved one that you would expect if it was someone that was, um, that was close to her that had died, that you'd expect them to see like a photo on the desk or something like that. There's nothing of that nature here. Hmm. So there must be at least you can put two and two together. There's probably a degree of removal between whoever died and her, but she still feels a lot of guilt about this, that she feels at least responsible. Okay. All right. Um, so yeah, I'll let him finish uh, fumbling over his... Uh... <laughs> He's just like cemetery walk. At, uh... <clears throat> Sorry. Good day. Mm. <laughs> yeah, she just she just nods and looks towards the door out of the office and looks back to you again. Yeah, he like turns and is like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, and after our three way split, I think uh, most people are then going to be thinking of heading back to the uh, the apartments. I know your group from the university were instructed to head back and have a word with the rest of you. Uh, Natalia and Eamon, I'm guessing you're going to head back there and regroup. Yeah, so we can. We can cut forward to maybe an hour or so later, and everyone is back at the apartment. To the roof, gentlemen, as I walk through. Oh, could you just... uh, we'll spend more time on the roof than uh, anywhere else. guess it doesn't include me. There's pressure up there. Ladies are always welcome. Where are we going, Lug? Roof. <laughs> What's this sandpaper feel like? Rough. <laughs> yeah. I'm going up to, uh, to the roof uh, where I will be having myself a smoke. <laughs> oh, yeah. Smoker's corner. Let's go. Yeah. Um, and as soon as I get to the roof, I don't know who all is with me. I'm assuming everybody. Yeah. yeah. Um, Very interested to know what you found out. Well, I'll let... Uh, I did a lot of talking there, so I'll let uh, either Robert or Summerton uh, kind of take the lead on describing what we've found. I sit plop down in my seat, smoking a, uh, a cigarette, kind of looking at the two of them as to what we discussed on the car. Okay, I'll take it. So, as you know, we went to see Miriam Coke. Yeah, why was she afraid of me? She was a. She didn't call you out by name. 
her statement was that she had asked the Tesseract who was going to kill her and it showed her us. That was the reason for her reaction on the plane of fright. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. All of us? Us. You, you know, you. She didn't call out Jacoby by name. I just, I just realized uh, earlier when I was talking to Henry, I was talking about the Tesseract revealing the truth, but I don't know that, do I? That was you guys talking to right. Miriam. So, reversal. <laughs> <laughs> it's but, now the first time we're hearing that, that you see the future when you're looking at the Tesseract. Right. So, evidently, this Tesseract... Not only can it re not only can it travel different ways in future and reveal the truth, but I think the more important thing is that there's someone by the name of Aigu. It's a female. She's the one that is currently in charge of the disciples of the Tesseract. And before we can go any further in this part of the investigation, we have to become what is called cloaked. We have to be cloaked. We have to be hidden because their fear is that anyone who comes across our conversation uncloaked, as she called it, will be able to scry information from that conversation and use it for their own end. And we're thinking specifically of H or possibly you know the Brotherhood of the Skin or some of the other more esoteric organizations so for their own protection and the protection of this Igu and we still haven't got Igu's permission yet either so basically all seven us seven of us have to be cloaked or nobody gets cloaked so everybody needs to kind of buy into this cloaking uh, mechanism so before we can have any discussion with Igu to take that part further. So it's like their their version of going up on the roof. Pretty much. That's what it sounds like. It takes you out of the stream of time so you can kind of be hidden and you can't be eavesdropped upon. You know... That sounds crazy. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say this is some crazy shit, isn't it? It's the worst Omerta ever. Uh, I, you know, I'm just a biologist. I'll go on with whatever you guys say, but this is some crazy shit. Well, is Hen Henry there, right, when we get back? Oh, yeah, Henry's here. Do you remember that part where I told him about the Tesseract? Well, <laughs> we also told you when you got back about Henry coming back. Mm -hmm. I we're just gonna tell, we're just gonna shoot more that part in. I haven't told anyone about the um, what I discovered in my room about the the object. Okay, and I haven't said anything about the object, right? Because I got the impression from you that the fewer people who know about it, the less likely it is to be discovered. Yeah. I don't I don't want to discuss no. the object until I know what the purpose of the object. Right. Actually so I won't is. I won't bring it up. 
So River of Time, cloaking. Sounds a little dangerous. Permission from the boss. Well, I'm in. This Hi. is this is what. Wait. This is what this is what they wanted. This is the Section Forty Six investigation. So you know, I'm a company man, so I'm in. How do we go about doing this? So we went to a castle in a dream world. We may as well call it away. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> do we have to kill a chicken? No, no fowl <laughs> will be harmed during this uh, uh, that I know of yet. But basically, Miriam is going to talk to Igu. You know, Robert and Steve and I were tasked with talking to y'all to get your buy-in. If we've got 100%, then we go, we kind of meet. If Igu gives her approval, then it's a go. But it's almost like both keys need to be turned in the submarine, right? We have to say yes, they have to say yes. So. Now, if Still I'm, not a done deal. If I'm repeating your words back precisely, what Miriam was saying was that this hypercube, Daleth, was telling her that the the highest probability is that we would be the ones to kill her. But that probability could be 2%. It's just for the highest ones. And the conversation that, that, that Bob and Steve and I were having also is that you know, when we approached her, of course, we had no intent of killing her right there at the university. But as we also know, time, as we've described it as a river, we're maybe we're not far enough down the river yet to know enough to kill her, right? Maybe some information comes along later where it's like, you know, sorry, but we got to, and there we go, you know? And I know Steve and Eamon aren't afraid. I know I'm not afraid, you know? It's part, it's part of the job. Hi. She just hasn't proven herself to be a threat yet. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And the Tesseract seemed to be somewhat against H. He also seemed to be, you know, like most people, completely against nuclear annihilation. So we all yes. tend to be really against that. That ruins your day. So yes. So anyone who's finally. against that, I consider an ally for the time. Yeah. And allies are reason, season, lifetime. So it would be the ultimate terrorist act. So don't discount the Black Brotherhood. No, I no, think not at all. I think that they're the ones influence. I think the Russians are going to be the ones to drop the bomb, but I think they're the ones influencing it. And we think that Kazakov is the canary in the coal mine who's kind of gotten the advance notice that something unusual is going on due to his knowledge and his experience, and that's why he's defecting. Again, you know, he may be a straight-up red, but you, when you take everything into a whole, we're all here on this planet together, so you have to kind of let certain allegiances fall away, whether it's communism or Marxism or whatever, and that's why he's coming in from the cold. And he's not even in town right now either. No. Unless he's here secretly, because he's supposed to meet us, what, tomorrow night? Uh, tomorrow lunchtime. Tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow lunch, lunch at the cafe. So he's most likely here. The graveyard cafe. Where, when is that party? Is that tonight or tomorrow night? Uh, that will be tonight. 
so that that doesn't clash. I'm sorry. I'm sometimes absent-minded. Which party? Um, that was the party uh, being thrown by... Um, was it being thrown by the British consulate? No, it was the, the woman, um, the former CIA woman. Lola Stanton. Lola Stanton. Ah. Uh, what Lola wants, Lola gets. <laughs> um, what information did we get from Postgate? Did you tell us? You, you said that you just had coffee? I had coffee with a, a gentleman who I, I take to be connected with uh, MIT. And um, he steered me in the direction of a chap who uh, he said is in connection, possibly in connection with fringe political movements. Um, a student. A student activist. Okay. Subversive. Um, someone who uh, MIT has their eye on. Is this worthy of our attention or is it just a distraction? Um, I'm really not sure. Um, I think the, the assumption was that those fringe political movements might be uh, involved in some ancillary way with uh, some of the cults, but um, he didn't, he seemed, um, actually he seemed less than, uh, less than interested when I brought up the, uh, when I mentioned cults. Well, I, I trust I trust you, Henry, but I also think we need to stay frosty and stay focused here. And that, yes, that... yes, I would agree. But it's I mean it's something to bear in mind should uh, should the need arise later. I think. Yeah, Depends. it's something to file away in case we get another confirmation or somebody happens to mention it. I think it's good intel. Why weren't you in the Dreamlands postgate? I just outright say that. I, I I left. How did you do that? Well, I, initially I decided not to participate. Um, then I went back to bed. Well, weren't you sleeping? And, uh, well, there's the thing. I, I sort of fell asleep in dream. There was a sound um, like drumming in the distance. I think it was us banging at the door. And then I, <laughs> then I woke in my bed. I checked on everyone. All asleep. And there was a knock at the door. This chap arrived, and he went and had coffee. Um, just to clarify, uh, with Matthew, uh, the people who passed their listen rolls—they not only heard drumming, but they heard something else inside the room. Isn't that correct? Yeah, it's uh, specifically drumming, but maybe the sound of pipes, something in the dis uh, something in the distance, yeah. which. For those of you that were at the union, whether you've uh, told back word for word what um, what Miriam said, um, she'd say about the last elder one that sits talking to chaos with the beat of drums. Yeah. Um, you're certain that you just lied back down and you were just let out? Because yeah, I just lied back down. Because, uh, well, he walked in the door when I was here, so... Well, what I'm saying is, I didn't want to be there, I, I, and I was asleep. Why didn't she let me out? I really no, I think Henry said that he he actually laid down and went back to sleep 
in the dreamlands, right? Yes, it's yes, almost yes. like two negatives make a make a positive. Hmm. It seemed to work. And when uh, to add to that, when Summerton keeled over and fainted as a result of his uh, sanity shock, he also vanished and woke up. But Steve, are you asking why uh, why Henry didn't wake you up? It's nothing. Uh, say, I, well, I, I mean, I'm, for my part, I'm not sure what would happen if I woke one of you up while you were in the dreamlands. Would you simply snap back into consciousness, or, or, or would there be some sort of psychological shock in doing that? I didn't want to take that risk. Well, we had actually made the decision to go and explore, and Henry didn't want to come. You wanted to come, Steve. Wow. I was reluctant to get out of the bed in the first place. I think we were all reluctant. I think our curiosity kept us in the dreamlands. I was, I was just interested to see if it was possible to get myself out when I wanted to. I was ready to go. I don't know what to make of all of this, but... Uh... Well, um, O'Sullivan and Natalia, you went to the consulate, correct? Yeah, but that... Well, I'll let, I'll let him. A, a quick trip, yep. And what did you gather from there? Well, <laughs> he kind of smiles a little bit and then he dashes out the cigarette he's smoking. He's like, talk to Pamela. Or no, sorry, not Pamela. Um, shoot, I lost the name. How was about Pamela? Gail. Gail, yep, sorry. Gail Bennett. Spoke with Gail, Miss Bennett. Is trying to figure out, uh, well, okay. Remember Pamela? I don't know if you got her name. The fine, lovely young woman I was dancing with. A few I remember back. her. Hey, good. <laughs> She's good iron candy. Um, anyway, she expressed interest in a man that I think maybe she was seeing or she was stood up that night. That's why she was alone. But I was doing her a favor and searching around throwing the name around. She believed he was from the American consulate under the skies of Adam. That's all I got. When I gave the description and she pulled a picture out to verify it, Ms. Bennett, it was none other than Kazakov himself. Really? Oh yeah, that, that's where I was saying he's not in country. But they expect him back here pretty soon. But if she was expecting him... Well, that's what Gail said. Now... I don't know what the relationship is exactly with Pamela. And I'm hoping it's, of course, only business, right? But. Well, no. it's likely that if he was in town, it's not necessary that the, that the CIA knew that, except that we kind of do know. Um, yeah. he. What it tells me is he's, he's playing all kinds of games and he's all over the place. It may be that he saw us there and didn't keep his date because we would have recognized him. Weren't we there to speak to one of his men about him? Not actually him in person? Not yet. We were there, we were there to talk to Ut, Ut, Ut Karmajash. Yep. Yeah. About meeting him or something, but not actually to meet him yet. He, he may have avoided us being because we were there. We would have recognized him. We've seen, mm-hmm. we've, we've seen him, haven't we? Uh, pictures. Yeah, you've seen you've seen pictures of well, I'll say Majash you've met in person. Um, you've also seen pictures of Kazakov, especially from your initial briefing about uh, things that you knew about him. Basically, like the little fact file that they had had a photo of him as well. 
Well, and, uh, Pamela's description of him didn't give away Kazakov's description. It was not the way she saw him compared to ours, but connected it once I saw the picture. Strange. Let me just um, let me just clarify that uh, when we met Pamela after the British dinner, when we decided to scope out Galata Tower. Yeah, you went there the night before the meeting with Majash oh, to yeah. scout it out and find other exits and so on, and that's where you met her. Yeah. Also, isn't our whole thing to be as discreet as possible? I don't think he would know what we look like or who we are. Well, Unless there's a mole and someone's fed the info back. That is very true. Thank you for adding to my suspicions. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. He might not have been there at all. He might stood her up on purpose so he could escape. Maybe people knew that they were together or possibly will be together, but he wanted to disappear. So he said, I'll meet you there. And so whoever was, was ever observing them would have went there as well naturally and he might have slipped off. He didn't have to know what we looked like. He knew that we were meeting with Utkar Machash. But we were just a bunch of guides. But we were meeting with Utkar. Uh, is it Utkar? Utka? Whatever. We were meeting with him on his behalf, so he would have known that what, uh, those people sitting over there were us. He wanted to get a look at us, maybe. But we weren't meeting Akumatesh that day. No, it was the night before with the Brit uh, British consulate people. Oh, I'm sorry. I am quite forgetting the, the my dates. You are correct, uh, then yeah. But Majash does often go to the Galata Tower, so it's possible if you were going to see there, there was a chance he could have been there. Yeah, I, I remember giving a luck roll to see if he was actually going to be there or not. I'm going to take a drag of my cigarette, and uh, after um, this correction, I'm going to uh, just blow out the smoke and say, "Or he didn't show up because he's dead." Well, then that makes our job really easy. That's putting. No, it right. doesn't. <laughs> makes our job harder. We don't have to do it. That's if he's dead, we have nothing to do tomorrow. The superficial job we don't have to do is some other work. Well, we've got the other job that we have to do. Mm -hmm. the, the one for 46. The one for 46. I mean, one for 46, discovering who's taken the, the, the who, who's taking control of Istanbul is really not on, the, on my priority list. The annihilation of the entire human race is kind of at the top. And then everything else is, you know, on the bottom. You've you've taken a lot of things at face value. You you went into the dream realm and saw something in the dreams, and you're interpreting this to be something in the real world. Um, I don't know. Maybe you're maybe once again like with this uh, tesseract thing. You're looking at a probability. That probability might be fairly low, and you're just. I agreed. I mean, we don't want it to happen. We got to take precautions, but. Well, I don't know about all of you, but I think that if, if Kazakov is dead, someone uh, either occult in nature or Russian in nature discovered the defection. I see what you're saying. We're, we'll find we're, out. we're screwed because we don't know the dates. We don't know any information. He's dead. We have no lead. Well, let's not jump to conclusions yet. 
let's go through things as if as if they're supposed to play out and see what happens and then deal with the situation when it comes up yeah if it doesn't show up at the cafe then we know what happened although if what you're saying turns out to be the fact perhaps if we discovered that kasikov is dead then uh we can all go back to the united states as quickly as possible i don't no, that's going to be possible. Well, I don't want to be here when the bomb goes off, if there's a bomb. There's going to be bombs going off everywhere. Do you, and I'm kind of with Steve on this. Do you remember the globe thing we looked at <laughs> up on the tower? Yeah, remember how I pointed the, out to the, all the, the strategic... dream globe. Uh, <laughs> we're all there. All right. <laughs> it's, our collective conscience was there. It may as well be real. It doesn't. All right. <laughs> I, I just think it's good to keep on the table that yes, their nuclear nuclear annihilation is possible. Yeah, quite would, quite possible. They wouldn't be prepared as as heavily as they are if they were like, well, it's a two percent probability of it happening. Well, I'm, I'm with you too. Um, so it's a higher probability. I mean, ever since Kennedy put the bombs right next to Russia. Yeah, um, I'm with I'm with these two. Uh, I would say that if you're right then we're, we're pretty much wasting our time here and it won't be that much of a big, uh, of a deal. Um, if we just waste time, all we're doing is just wasting time. However, if they're correct, then we have a possibility to stop this from happening. So I would rather err on the side of caution and be wrong than just chalk it up as, oh, it was just a dream. And wrong on that end no we're used to weird things i you're right err on the side of caution just realize too that at any moment we could decide oh yeah that was nonsense yeah true volkovi you um you're russian clearly i'm not russian volkova is Uh uh-huh um, and you're I speak person. Russian, if you're asking. Did you, did you want to talk some some uh, slurs at me or something, sir? Uh, no, uh, uh, Volkova. What I'm wondering is, because um, we're t- speaking in probabilities, what is the probability right now? I'm not 100%. Not, I'm not too knowledgeable on the, uh, the doomsday clock right now. What is the probability of Russia actually acting? on a preemptive strike? Well, Russia, let's put it like this. What is the uh, probability of the United States on the preemptive strike? That's a good answer. Probably the same. It's probably mounting every single day. Both sides are just as afraid of the other side. Now, what if, what if, the, what if the Russians aren't really behind us? What if there's another organization Who's trying to make it seem like the Russians are behind it? That's my theory. James Bond stuff here? Well, I don't know about this Mr. James Bond character. You've never read Ian Fleming, huh? Um, No. I I do agree with Volkova. I think that, and and Jacoby, that that it's obvious that... um, the Black Brotherhood, they're, the, they're my top pick, is influencing Agreed. the Russian government or even the United States government into doing a preemptive strike that would set in chain 
you bomb Moscow, and of course, the Russian government is going to retaliate by bombing the NATO stockpile. Just it would just it would just be a domino effect. All to open this hypothetical portal. Yeah, she did say something about that, didn't she, Summerton? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry, opening a portal now? What what are we talking about? Uh, the devastation was to, to open up some kind of portal. Bring yeah, that was the reason for the bombs, was to open up the portal. A level of devastation and chaos unmatched. Hmm. Uh, portals to go somewhere else? Or something to come in. Something to come here. Oh, uh, now we're talking agent. Oh, now we're talking forty six stuff. Oh, right, lots of big fucking fish people or things. Right, it's right. like it's like I was taught in school. Everything is connected. I believe it. It's definitely Everything not a coincidence. Is, no, there are no coincidences. Yeah, coincidences. Coincidences are for films and books. Well, we have a day until um, Kazakov. So what do we do now? What time well, is it? Well, do we're we gonna need to get ready to go to this party, right? Were we all invited to this shindig? What? Yeah, everyone was invited. It's about lunchtime now for reference. So there's a party tonight. What was the purpose again? I don't remember. Drinking, carousing. You were invited by somebody though, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, postgame. Oh, po something po from Postgate? Mm -hmm. uh, Lola Stanton. She's a former CIA. Well, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, so I'm going to go crash for a while and then get ready to go to the party. That sounds right to me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to probably grab something to eat, and then I'll come back and get ready for the party, though. Okay. Um, while... while <laughs> Yeah, while these guys are are doing that, I'm actually going to go out and mm -hmm. um, going to visit the uh, the graveyard. Ah, okay. Yeah, and, we'll um, if she's not there, I will see if I can recognize the the bouquet of flowers. <laughs> okay, give me a luck roll to see if she is there or not. Um, can I also go with her to the graveyard? Do you mind if I come with you? Sure, that's, that's fine. There's something I want to look for. Um, I got a 51 out of 54, so... Okay, yeah, so in which case it's, we'll say, towards the tail end. She was about to kind of get up and go. But you do find that she is still there. Um, she sat on a particular bench, um, looking a little bit... So perplexed is probably the best word... Um, she's sat looking at a grave which is opposite the um, opposite the bench. The bench obviously is on a path, one of the paths that goes through this uh, through this graveyard, which I'll get the name of for you. It is now. I'll fill that in in a second anyway, because it's going to be buried in there. Um, it's a little way north of the city, so it's outside of the greater of uh, the kind of downtown Istanbul area. 
um, the path, it's quite a nice graveyard. It's on a slope which goes down towards, uh, towards the river. Um, it's quite a, a relatively affluent area around here, so it's quite well looked after. Um, it's, um, it's also for reference, because there's a couple of uh, cemeteries come up, it's not the one with the restaurant where you'll be meeting Kazakov tomorrow. This is a separate one in a different part, uh, different part of the town. That um, there's nice trees dotted around, nice gravel paths that move through here, and a couple of nice well-tended benches of which she is sat on one of them looking across the path to this small headstone that's on, um, that's on the other side. Um, the name... Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was going to say that I'm going to try probably will fail at this, but I'm going to try to be inconspicuous. Uh, I'm not trying to have her see me seeing her so I mean, she she's wrapped up enough of an, in her own thoughts that she's not really paying that much attention to anyone around her so she she hasn't seen you for the moment and i've uh, i've i've sort of wandered away from uh, natalia and i'm just just looking for um uh the grave of uh junit albach ah, a very different part of the city Okay. Uh, so well, he's I'm... definitely not here. So, All right. that's this is on kind of midway up the Bosphorus, whereas where he came from is way up on the north side. From Kumka, yeah. yeah. All right, but I'm just I'm just wandering, looking. Gotcha. Okay. You can see that see the bouquet of flowers that Natalia saw um, is sat on the grave, but she's also got another set. Uh, which she's um, which she's looking at um, over uh, that she's got laid on the desk on the bench next to her, and is reading a small note on uh, reading a small card that was on it before she folds it up and puts it in her pocket. So it's a different one, not the one she brought. Okay. But she does get up um, with the second bouquet and put that on the grave as well. So uh, two sets of flowers on there. All right, what I'll do is I'll wait until she um, she leaves and she's like away from the, or actually until she leaves the graveyard itself. Mm-hmm. Then I'll go over there and I'll, I'll give the uh, grave a, little, uh, a look. Sure. Yeah, uh, she does look at her watch and then she looks back down at the grave, almost maybe whispers something like a goodbye and then walks off. Um, you can see she walks off at a relative, uh, relatively brisk pace. Blunt, um, given the time, it's probably her lunch hours coming up to um, coming up to a close. And yet she does indeed make a beeline straight out of the graveyard and heads to a taxi. Okay. Right. Uh, the grave is for one Timush Kundachi, um, aged eleven. Um, died last. Uh, died last year. Oh, how sad. Yeah, there's, no, there's no one else with the same surname around, so it looks like this is uh, not a family plot. But looking around at some of the other headstones, it does look as though this is more like the, uh, the kids' part of the cemetery. So where the, those who died really young are buried. All right. Um, hmm. It has the the date 
that he passed, right? Yes, it does. So, um, maybe I can do a bit of research and see if that name rings a bell. Yeah, that'd be, we'll say January last year. So it'd be okay. January 73. Okay, so I'll probably do, like, I'll go to the library um, mm -hmm. after this and, and maybe go through their archives, newspaper archives, and see if there, there was a big tragedy or, or something like that, or maybe a obituary. Just, just to see if, if this is actually legitimate. Sure. Uh, Jacoby, doing anything else while you're there? Are you tagging along for research as well? Oh, uh, yeah, not really. Don't we have a party that we have to go to? In about seven hours. Oh, sure. I'll go with you just to, to just to kill some time. Okay. If you both want to do library use roles, you certainly can. Um, I'm going to look for. Uh, the name Daoloth. See if I can find some ancient Sumerian god or something named that. Mm -hmm. I got an O3, but I think I know the answer. <laughs> oh, you do actually find a reference. Oh. It ties in with your research that you've done in downtime. Uh, the astrologer priests of Daoloth were supposed to be those that used the observatory that was burnt down. <laughs> I got a 39 out of 65. Gotcha. So there's that. Uh, it's close enough to a half. I'll, I'll give you that. Right, uh, you find two particular clippings, um, one of which refers to in January to a gunfight that took place down um, at the docks in Bedeth, which is very, relatively close to where you are. Okay. Um, that explains that there was it's it's allegedly put down to um, drug smuggling or other nefarious activity. The investigation is ongoing at this point, yada yada yada. Um, but it does make reference to the fact that a 11 year old boy who was um, out fishing there, which was known to be his, his spot that he went to regularly, according to his parents, um, that he was killed in the crossfire. You then get a couple of um, couple of weeks later, you get the noticed uh, very small section uh, of the obituary uh, saying about the funeral and so uh, and so forth. And from the parents, um, Honor and Faraday, are the uh, mother and father, they they leave a note in there that says, "Thank you for the anonymous donation that has allowed us to make uh, to bury our son." Hmm. All right, my curiosity is now satisfied. Um, hmm. It's a legit grave. It's not a like a drop-off point or anything. It seems like yes, a kid actually did get shot in some kind of action that went down at the docks. Okay. Anything interesting? It seems like our our uh, handler has a heart of gold. Ah, I'll, you know, I'll point to this. And... Well, I found something interesting. Oh, what did you find? Well, previously I had I had uh, I'd been uh, looking into uh, dream research, people, you know, with dreams, and there there does seem to be quite a history of it. There was a uh, the the history of uh, like astrology and the interpretation of dreams uh, uh, on on Reomancy, um 
it was pretty much disdained and hated by the Turk. Uh, uh, but it, 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 it can be traced back into the 16th century. Um, uh, the problem with predicting the future and things like that is, uh, you know, for the most part, it's all charlatanry. And apparently the, the high priest astrologer or whatever uh, back in 1580 made the mistake of predicting the outcome of a war and he got it completely wrong based on the astrology. So it was pretty much banned at that point. But the, uh, the, the, um, the observatory of, uh, now I'm going to get the name wrong, Taki Aldin, pronounced that way. The observatory of Taki Aldin was destroyed. And the observatory was the uh, the place where the astrologer priests of Daolath were said. So there's a connection for you. Hmm. This Daolath, this worship of this Daolath, this scrying into the future, that's been going on for centuries. Of course, maybe they had something there. Okay. They had that tesseract. Or they had found their way into the dream world where the tesseract was. Actually, considering you got an O three, I'll give you a bit. I'll give you a bit more on that, especially as it's referencing the fact what the astrologer priest did there. Um, there is a book that's mentioned, uh, the Heaven Beyond the Veils, which was supposed to be a detailed um, script that the astrologers put together of worship of Daloth. The book was supposed to be at the um, at the observatory, but whether it perished or was destroyed with the fire or not remains unknown. The book has lost a history. Yeah, that's a shame. So many things are written down in books and then they're lost to history. Heaven beyond the veils. We'll keep our eyes open. Maybe we'll find it in a drawer somewhere instead of the Gideon Bible. Or find those you might find it in a dream world. Maybe. Well, that's all very interesting. Let's get back and get ready for the party in, in, yeah. in, in, in six and a half hours. We'll <laughs> yeah, head back. Okay. Right. In which case, you can certainly uh, meet back up. It doesn't take you that long, really, to either put on, um, put on your best attire or get yourself dolled up. Um, you can I, I convey all that information also to all the others in in the same dramatic fashion. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right, so we're all dolled up. Well, that's white. The place, the place we're going is it basically Eamon's always wants to carry a weapon, and so he always has to look ahead about making sure you get a weapon in it. I'm probably not the only one. So, is there a way to know or find out if? Easy to get a, a handgun inside. You you doubt going to a party they're gonna have a metal detector. Okay. Um, if it's a more of like a nightclub, you might expect like a bouncer to frisk you up and down. But the address you've got that's on the the invitation that Postgate received um, is for a mansion which is in Bebeth on the European side of the Bosphorus. Uh, this is again a very affluent area you're not going to think something as crass as a bouncer on the door or metal detectors going to be in place. You're probably going to be safe enough to get in there with a gun. Excellent. Thank you. All right. 
In which case, um, unless anyone else wants to do anything in between, I think we can probably skip to the party. Cool. Right. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go. Right, in which case, it's a nice uh, warm evening, um, relatively cloudless sky, um, a little breeze um, wafting down the river. It's, it's a nice place. Um, the mansion itself is a little way up the hill, which then gives a good overview of the surrounding area. Um, there is a huge, um, look all the balcony, a terrace at the back, which then overlooks the river. Um, you're driven up, um, presumably like, you know, a couple of taxis, uh, which are then dropped in this nice circular courtyard in front of the building. Um, the building from the front where you're looking at seems to be only one story tall, but, you know, as it's obviously a slope, it's the stories go down, uh, down the slope for the rest of the building. Um, it's a nice neoclassical frontage. Seems like Lola has quite a bit of money behind her. So um, when you um, pull up, there is a like the effect the equivalent of a concierge that opens like the, the, the opens the doors for you, um, asks for the um, invitation, which I presume Postgate has brought along. Yeah. Which case, well, thank thank you very much, sir. Um, he takes it and slips it into his um, interior of his jacket pocket. Um, if you'd like to follow me in. Um, inside you can hear the sound of there are numerous people talking um, here and there there's quite a few people here um, there's plenty of uh, wait, uh, waitresses going around with plates with champagne flutes and other drinks that have been offered um, there's a couple of string quartets which are set up in different parts of the building where the sound so obviously doesn't overlap so you've got different groups uh, milling in different areas um, she has a fully stocked bar which uh, she has a bartender sat at or stood at rather, um, that's again very near to the terrace. Um, and you're, you're actually going to recognize a few people here. Uh, can I have a party luck roll first of all? So the person that's got the lowest luck, can you give me a roll? 41. 30, uh, oh, luck. Oh, 75. 55. 52. <laughs> uh, 54. Your luck is literally two. Oh, I'm sorry. What our luck is? My yeah, luck is the lowest one rolls it. My luck is yeah. 37. Oh, that's time. Jacoby, at least I think. And I rolled a two. <laughs> there you go. Right. Um, I'll give you the option then. Um, do you want Suleiman there, or do you want someone else that would be there if he wasn't there? was it? Suleiman, the Turkish MIT agent. Ooh. I say someone else. Let's let's spin the roulette wheel. Let's see who shows up. It's just like uh Yeah. It's like awesome a nice. bachelor date Wait, or whatever that game was where you open the door and yeah. I I would like Albert Einstein there. No. <laughs> you've got me thinking of the, the opening credits of Mr. Ben now with the wheel going round. <laughs> is it, it going to be someone dressed as a spaceman? Because I always wanted to see that one, but it never was. I don't care. Whatever. You that do. must be a British show. Yeah, it is. Yeah. All right. Standing like that. That's how all astronauts mm -hmm. stand. Yeah. <laughs> if you have no preference, I know which uh, which one you might find more interesting. Yeah, okay. surprises. Sure. Okay, yes, let's make it. Let's make it really interesting. Yeah. It's a mysterious shopkeeper in a fez. 
<laughs> right, uh, people that are there, I have to get my cast up now, so I wasn't expecting this uh, this particular part to happen. Um, you have uh, your, particularly for Coombs, uh, and the others, because you saw her go up to him previously, and you have a very nice lady by the name of Nurton Burkgazi, uh, who is sipping on a uh, sipping a martini glass on the terrace um, overlooking the Bosphorus? Uh, you have uh, Leighton, Carl Leighton, your CIA handler. Uh, he's there um, propping up the bar, pretty much alongside his um, SIS counterpart uh, Donaldson. And at the other end of the terrace, you have um, Suleiman and uh, Vahede the uh, young lady who vanished in front of your apartment for the others that were there. There are various other uh, various other people milling around. Um, you see Suleiman and uh, Vahid are definitely in a fairly intense conversation away from a fair number of people. Uh, Burkgaz is on her own, um, so she hasn't seemed to have turned around and noticed you. She's just looking out over the river. Uh, Donaldson and Leighton say are having a fairly jovial conversation between them. There's uh, a couple of a um, couple of glasses of whiskey in front of them. They seem to be getting on, and having a pretty good time. And through the crowd uh, coming towards you is a um, lady that's she's of, of advancing years compared to the rest of the crowd, but she is dressed up like she's probably should be um, dressed up like someone half her age. Uh, she comes over towards you with this gorgeous silver hair flowing uh, flowing down behind her and looks between you uh, with this great big smile as she holds a martini glass. Says, well, you would be the new people in town. I hope you uh, didn't have any problem get, uh, getting to uh, my humble establishment. Uh, my name's Lola, Lola Santon. Pleasure, pleasure to meet you all. How do you do? Pleasure. Charmed. Merhaba, Lola. Thank you for having us. No problem, no problem. So I heard from some friends that you were uh, that you were new in town. I thought it might be uh, helpful to get to know a bit of the lay of the land, get to see some uh, get to see some people here, um, get to rub shoulders, you know, had some introductions, names, and and, and so on and so forth. Um, in fact, looks over uh, your collective shoulders behind you. Um, in fact, one person over there I think would be a very good, uh, very interesting person f uh, for you to meet. Um, she reaches up with her other hand that's not uh, cradling a glass and just says, uh, Damesh, Damesh! And complete um, gestures for whoever she's talking to to come over to you. Um, man in his 40s, I think probably <coughs> early 40s, a uh, slight balding, balding head, um, fairly composed but fairly, yeah, fairly dignified individual uh, comes over, says, um, Ladies, gentlemen, um, please. Uh, this is my good friend here, um, Dimish Barish. Uh, works in the uh, works in the city. I think you probably want to uh, get to know this man. He's a very very nice person to know. Very very good person. So um, just leans in and does a stage whisper. Yeah, likes his gin as well. Oh, I'll get along just fine then. <laughs> I'll, I'll um, hold out my hand. Yeah. How do you do? Um, yeah. Henry Introductions Post all around. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Pleasure. He he takes uh, he takes in turn very very much meet, meeting eye contact with you. Um, has a nice firm handshake, not too overly aggressive. 
but yeah, definitely seems to be, you can see he's taking names and faces and he's, you know, so clocking each one of you as you go around. In, in, in the city, are, are you in finance? Uh, no, I work as a consultant um, down at the Tourism Police Board. Ah, I see. Uh, one of the things you'll find um, about Istanbul that maybe you don't have in the um, in the States is that we have a separate police department uh, dedicated specifically to those um, legal aliens which are in, in the city from anyone from overseas. Um, part of the criteria is that all of the police, the, the tourism police have to be trained in at least one other European language. Yeah, we, we have a lot of people from outside coming to our coming to our city for various reasons well it is something of an international city yes mm-hmm. indeed, um, indeed. with a very curious past mm. oh yes Un- unlike anywhere else in the world <laughs> mm. Mm. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful <laughs> opportunity to visit uh, such a uh, a stalwart part of the the, 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 the old world. It's, it's written about so much, there's so much history here. It's, uh, it's, it's really a, a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Have you always lived? Yes, myself. I'm born, born and raised. One of the reasons why I'm um, reluctant to move. <laughs> it, is, it is rather pleasant. Um, so what does this involve then, your, your, your job on a, on a day-to-day basis? Uh, consultancy, uh, legal stuff, uh, consultations with uh, various government or uh, government bodies. It's uh, I think we always like a um, like a go-to man, like a um, a network. Do you, do you, do you get much trouble here with people being kidnapped? I've heard that's uh, that can be a problem in the region. Kidnapped? Hmm. Yes, you know, um, fundamentalist groups. Um, the Black September and the like, the fringe political groups. Oh, uh, we, we've we have probably no more than you'd see in any other European city. Um, probably crime is a bit more on the violent side here, but I wouldn't necessarily say that we have a spike in um, in kidnapping. While you are uh, pretty much holding Barish's attention, if anyone wants to slip off, now is your perfect chance. Perfect. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and we're gone. It's like it's like a cartoon with little smoke trails that are. Yeah, yeah uh, you can pretty much hold Barrish's attention without any problem. It's not. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't notice the fact that everyone else has gone. But he is quite happy just talking to you. Okay. Um, I mean, in, in the, the U.S. now, um, of course, um, the 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 Bet Noir. At the moment, or, or since since the Manson case, has been uh, the 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 fear of um, cult groups, the 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 Moonies and um, the Rajneeshis and all, all of these other groups. People mm-hmm. terrified of having their uh, their children abducted by these groups and uh, and brainwashed. I know I know it happens a lot in India. Does does any of that go on here? Oh, I wouldn't necessarily. Um, he kind of crosses his arms, and you, you see, he's definitely it's something that's perking in interest, and he's got his wheels, bit his cogs turning. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that was a main problem over here. Um, not in terms of maybe like religious groups. Um, politically, maybe we we do have um, a bit of a problem with, say, the um, like the left wing 
which uh, those kind of stirred up by lots of anti-Vietnam sentiment, especially amongst the uh, the students, that they like to lash out at um, Western influence because they believe, obviously, that they're siding with the with the communists, that the the capitalist right should get their proverbials out of uh, Vietnam as soon as they can. Well, it's uh, yeah, it's it's very much. Uh... It's very much demonstrating that the media is a new force to be to be reckoned with, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So it's not something we've had to contend with previously from uh, a foreign policy standpoint. Not not in this way. I mean, obviously there were always people in the press who were who were critical, but the the the, the rise of um, televised media for people to actually see um, bombings and burnings and dead bodies in their living rooms. I mean, it's a, it's a <laughs> public relations disaster yeah he, he nods yeah this is the um, the most televised well <laughs> not those in many others while tv uh, television has been around but the most documented war in history probably at least from the front line mm. yes it's uh i would imagine the fallout from this will go on for a very very long time oh yeah as we're getting close to wrap-up time, I'll do a quick round-robin to see if anyone's um, anyone's going in any particular direction so we can get uh, set up for where we pick up next time. Uh, Jacoby, are you going, to see, uh, going anywhere in particular? Well, I guess I'm just kind of wandering around and uh, staying somewhat quiet and just keeping my ears open. Mm-hmm. Um, now... In the last episode, uh, the name uh, Nerton Berengazi had come up, and you said she's here. However, I don't know that's her, do I? I've never talked to her or seen her. Or I, th- I think the connection was drawn that it was the person who went over and kissed Combs. Oh, so you can you can so... put two and two together. So you do know it. You can establish that that's her. Well, then maybe I will go over and just talk to her i'm not going to say anything yet but just just small talk and mm-hmm. see if i can get around to asking her about her family and <laughs> okay mm-hmm. no. maybe you'll get a, a get a kiss as well no i don't want to kiss <laughs> i want to know about a connection that i i that might be there mm-hmm. okay um Eamon, where about are you going well i was that possibility sounds good, but my first instinct was to uh, stroll up to the bar down from Leighton and Donaldson, not like, mm-hmm. hey, look at me, I'm here. You know, several bar stools down, order a drink, light a cigarette, listen in. Like, you know, not listen in, but listen in. Gotcha. And just keep my eyes open. I mean, he's the muscle, so just going to keep his eyes peeled and ears open, and that's about it. Sure. I'm I'm afraid I've made a bit of a mistake. I I misread the 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 email as as um, suggesting that Barish was um, uh, uh, heavily involved in the student radical movement. I've just reread it and it, it makes it quite clear that he's he's a a main player, not a main player with the the MIT. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I got that wrong. But you've uh, maybe. Uh, what's the word looking for? Serendipity. By the fact you brought it up, he knows about it, and there is a good degree of passion behind what he's talking about. So he may well be involved in some fashion. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
and Lebeau, whereabouts, uh, what, um, anything you particularly want to do while milling around? Not really, other than I want to be close as I can between Steve and Eamon. Okay, so kind of acting as like a bridge between yeah. between the two. Making sure, I, if possible, keeping them both in my periphery. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm with two power. <laughs> Combs? I think you know where I'm going. Bergazi, the one who kissed me. Yep. <laughs> you do that. <laughs> oh, if you want to be alone with her, perhaps I should wander off. No, I'm no, uh, Jacoby. I think that you and I both know that we're both interested in uh, figuring this connection. <laughs> connection. Oh. Natalia, you've been researching me, haven't you? <laughs> so what? What? She, what, Natalia, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of mingle in the crowd. Um, take out my little camera, snap a few shots here and there, um, stealth, stealthily. Um, but then, you know, if I come across a group of people, I'll sort of ease into a conversation, but I'm not speaking, I'm more or less listening. Okay. And trying to pick up some mental, basically. Sure, sure. And Summerton. I'm gonna go talk shop with Leighton and Donaldson. Okay, right. In which case, I'll do reverse order then, uh, resolving what you've uh, little snapshots of bits that happen, and then leave on a uh, leave on a note with Jacoby. So, Summerton and Eamon, as you're both heading in the direction of Leighton and Donaldson, um, they both seem yeah they seem to be having a good um, also a chuckle, but definitely a good also a brotherly conversation. Um, particularly, they mentioned something about Galata Bridge, but then when they noticed the fact that the two of um, the two of you are coming in almost like a pincer movement um, beside, they kind of swap topics. Um, they they kind of most uh, they kind of nod towards uh, Eamon. Uh, Leighton, the more friendly of the two. Donaldson's like, oh god, one of the people that were there at that god awful conversation, and then starts looking uh, <laughs> at the hotel and starts looking around. Then catches Summerton coming the other side. And it's like, oh great, please! You do hear him mutter under his um, under his breath, "Not another fucking ball of twine, please." <laughs> um, but always, you, you two are brought. Um, say, please pull up, pull up a chair. It's uh, nice, nice to see um, all friends together here, and uh, you start having basically small talk, go back and forth. Um, Natalia and Robert, you're not, st not stood out like a sore thumb, but you're going kind of moving a little bit in the crowd, but not really talking to anyone. Um, also, the waitresses come over and offer you drinks, um, say repeatedly, just to make sure that you're, uh, and also saying, hey, you're having a good time, just to make sure every, everything's okay. But yeah, you're, you're catching bits of the uh, conversation happening at the bar. Nothing particularly juicy happening there at the moment. Uh, Combs and uh, Jacoby wander over towards Burt Gazi at the same point. Um, obviously, Burt Gazi turns more towards Combs and uh, has this wide smile across her face and uh, just look, looks at you with all this sultry expression and said, I could always give you another greeting like I gave you last night, even though you weren't, um, you were someone completely different from who I thought you were going to be. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, I wouldn't mind. I give a very wide smile. She does not need sec uh, another prompt. She just goes forward towards you, embraces you, and uh, there's yeah, there's a nice passionate moment there, which um, 
Maybe, as you say, Jacoby wanted to uh, pull back a little bit to somewhere quieter and listen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you give them a little bit of space, which puts you a little bit closer towards, um, towards Suleiman and to uh, Vahedi. Uh, just in time to, over, um, to overhear um, Suleiman get a little, not irate, but he kind of waves his hand off with this um, expression of uh, frustration on his face. And you catch him say, if the fish, fish people want the fucking pyramid, you can make it for them. I don't give a damn. And at that point, we will leave it for the night. Great. My can characters just say that have an erection for a whole week. <laughs> <laughs> this, you know you need to go see a doctor if it lasts like that long, COVID. right? I caught something about cherry cola. <laughs> There's lots of people talking at the same time. <laughs> Erections and cherry cola, a perfect point to end on. Remember, if, the, if it lasts longer than 48 hours, please go see a doctor. Yeah, it's going to last that long. <laughs> All right, guys. Our players uh, included Jeff Wilkins, Bill Mize, Lucas Glasshauer, Mick Swan, Wayne Worthy, Thomas McKean, and myself with Matthew Sanderson as the Keeper of the Secrets. We're currently producing four shows a week with music and sound effects added in post-production in order to create a richer listener experience. If you'd like to become a patron of our show, visit our Patreon account. Just a dollar to a month helps us a lot. Like, share, and subscribe to our channel for updates on our latest shows, and leave us some comments. We love hearing from you. This is Tom Rayleigh, together with all the members of our gaming club, inviting you to journey with us once again into the darkness for another adventure into the universe of H.P. Lovecraft and the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. Until next time, good luck and good gaming.